Hey there, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. Appreciate the fact that you guys have stomached Keith and I for as long as you have. We enjoy bringing the show your way and appreciate your patronage. Want to remind you, by the way, that the season ticket renewal deadline is rapidly approaching. It's in mid-April, April 15th. If you haven't renewed your season tickets for football, go ahead and do so for the 2022 season. A lot to like based on what we've seen so far at spring practice. For all the information, go to Seminoles.com backslash tickets. Uh, that's if you're going to renew. Or if you want to get tickets for the first time, you can get a reserve seat for all home games. Uh, they range in price from 330 bucks to 800 bucks uh, all in, depending on the seat location. Again, Seminoles.com backslash tickets to answer those questions as we count it down to the 2022 campaign. That said, let's count it down to the start of Front Row Knowles, which is right now. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. Keith, it is good to see you, sir. It is good to be seen. I'm sorry our listeners can't see us. Obviously, we're over radio. We're taping via Zoom and all that good stuff. Modern technology. was a great weekend for Florida State. I realize we're into the middle of the week and we can turn the page on that, but you win a couple ACC championships. You win a series against Miami. The men's tennis team does something it hasn't done in a decade plus. All things considered, not too bad. And your women's sports are ranked number one in the Learfield Cup overall against everybody, and that includes Stanford with their 417 sports. Which is that'll only mean something. That'll only mean something to folks who know what that means. Exactly right. But uh, yeah, congratulations. I mean, on the women's side, Florida State already this year has a national championship in women's soccer and a runner up in uh, runners up in beach volleyball. And now you've got the number two national seed in the softball team, which everybody's excited about. Congratulations to, to Lonnie Alameda and company for winning another ACC championship. And uh, I, I think it's safe to say that uh, the Plex is going to be rocking this weekend. What do you think? I would think so. I would think so. The Knowles will play on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And should they win, they will go on to the Super Regionals. They're the two seed. Oklahoma's the one seed. Oklahoma's like, 51 and two or something, but the, the FSU women are 52 and five, I think. I mean, that's as ridiculous a record as I can remember period. Well, and you know, depending on who you talk to, uh, they may have a little bit one way or the other, but most everyone believes that, that Oklahoma and Florida state will ultimately, and hopefully it will serve uh, to be the fact that they will meet out in Oklahoma city and, and they won't have to play each other much uh, we don't think, and they may be in separate pools. We'll, we'll wait and see how all that works out. But um, it's going to be an interesting uh, next couple of three weeks on the on the softball field. No question. Meanwhile, on the golf course, the uh, the men's team has been playing regionals the first part of this week down in Palm Beach. The women's team absolutely obliterated the field last week here in Tallahassee on the home course the legacy course, uh, Seminole legacy. And we're going to talk with the, the star of the FSU golf team coming up a little bit later on in the show. They are out in Arizona for the NCAA championships, which start later this week. We'll also have Bob Ferrante joining us. And uh, uh, one disclaimer, we're recording this on Tuesday, so we're not going to reference the result of Tuesday's FSU Florida baseball game. Cause as good as Keith and I are, we are not very good at being clairvoyant and predicting such things, but 
Instead, we'll just go back and, and wallow in the victory uh, against Miami, which especially considering they dropped the first game, Keith. I mean, if you go into a series and say, well, Parker Messick's not going to get a win, but you're still going to win the series, I, I think you'd take that. Without question. And, of course, those that follow FSU baseball know that the Friday night game, the regular Friday night game, was rained out, so they played a doubleheader on Saturday. I don't know to what degree uh, physically that affects a pitcher, but I would think at least mentally, you know, when you're you're throwing some – what, 16, 18 hours later than you originally thought you would be. Uh, that has some impact, but obviously it has the same impact for Miami's starter as well. So uh, we'll call that a push, but you're right. Florida State comes back and wins two in a row against the Hurricanes. Um, that, that's, you know, it is what it is. Uh, they were ranked in the top 10. Florida State wasn't, so we'll take that every time. I haven't looked at it. You're talking about, you know, Messick being thrown back a day. One of the things, this is the last week of the regular season. And so instead of playing a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series, Florida State will play tomorrow on Thursday against North right. Carolina. Right. And, you know, usually you'd move your starters up a day and go from Friday to the following Thursday. But with Messick having pitched on Saturday, I don't know how they're handling Thursday. And then it affects when they're available the next week in the ACC tournament. So, uh, Bob Ferrante may have an answer to that, uh, and obviously it depends on how many arms and, and which arms they use to get through Tuesday night's game against Florida, but those are among the questions on the table. We haven't even mentioned football or NIL yet, Keith. Uh, should we should we broach that subject or just wait for Bob on that one? I, I was not aware that we had been granted an extra five hours of radio time if we were going to address that topic. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll take a break. We'll welcome Bob from the Osceola to the show right after this. Uh, thanks for tuning in. As always, we're just getting started on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Time for us to open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency ensuring your future together as we say hello to the Osceola's Bob Ferrante. Hello to the Osceola's Bob Ferrante. How are you, sir? How are you guys? Doing well here. We're doing good. It's been a banner week, banner uh, last couple of weeks for Florida State Athletics. And as Keith pointed out in our first segment, all the women have done is, is lead the Capital Cup standings right now. So that's not too shabby in terms of how Florida State's uh, women's athletics are doing at present. Yeah, it seems like it's been a good, what, last, that, that five-day stretch maybe from Wednesday through Sunday when you had the women's golf team win the Tallahassee Regional, uh, obviously softball getting an ACC title, outdoor track uh, getting an outdoor title, and, and, and baseball with a little uh, series win over Miami. So it's been a, a really good time to be following Florida State Athletics for sure. This softball team, and then we'll we'll get to baseball and, and some football topics. We already talked a little softball, Bob, but for them to be, I think it's 52 and five, and the number two national seed, as, as accomplished as they've been, they've won a lot of ACC championships. They've gone to the World Series. They've been national champs. This is the highest seed they have ever had going into the postseason. So that speaks volumes about the continued excellent culture and caliber of team that Lonnie puts together. I think you have to appreciate the fight, the versatility of how they win games, whether it's it's pitching or defense or hitting. They've hit more home runs than than last year by far, by considerable margin. But but they're also extremely clutch. And you know, sixth inning home run from Mac Leonard that did it, you know, against Clemson to win the title. So I, I think we're just kind of seeing a mentally strong team, a team that fights. It, it's really taken on, I, I think 
all the qualities that you look to in a team that's going to make a deep run through the postseason. Will they win a title or not? That's, you know, it's probably going to be down to Florida State, Oklahoma, and a couple others, but you feel like this is a team that's going to go to OKC and, and enjoy a really long stay. The only thing, and this is nitpicking, but the only thing I would like to see is a stronger number two pitcher. Uh, there were a couple of times during the weekend uh, that, that you know, they could have used some, you know, Madison or someone uh, really performing well without having to bring in Cat. Uh, 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 but that that may just be a, a weekend thing that may change automatically once they get back home. Yeah, I, I think part of it is, you know, Lonnie Almeida has a, has a bigger picture plan, not just short term, but also, you know, postseason, next season. You know, for example, she's looking at Mac Leonard. Um, you know, she started her as an opener type in that ACC title game, but she knows that Mac has pitching experience at Illinois State. And Mac is going to come back in 2023. She's trying to develop postseason experience there. And, and you look at it initially and you say, wow, I mean, Mac is starting in a in a championship game, in a, in a winner-take-all situation. And Danielle Watson, um, you know, she's obviously had great moments. Like she was down at Florida and pitched incredibly in a game that went, you know, really late and deep in the night and didn't get the decision there. I, I think they've got the pitching to do it, and they're just trying to figure out, you know, which pitcher's strengths which pitches best attack a lineup um it's a little non-conventional i think from what i'm used to watching teams but i've kind of learned you know trust lonnie and, and trust what she's seeing and how she's viewing um doing the pitchers because those are those are her ladies she's not just recruited them but developed them she's the pitching coach and she's kind of got a big picture plan for how it's going to come together Bob, on the nearby diamond, that was a huge series win for meat and FSU baseball. And I know as we talk, we're ignoring whatever happened Tuesday night in Gainesville between FSU and Florida because we're recording this earlier. But uh, general thoughts, uh, and I guess, it, you know, if you're going to have Wyatt Crowell continue to pitch like that and Ross Dunn is going to pitch, then it's a totally different outlook, I think, for what you think this team can accomplish in the postseason. Yeah, I think – you know, when I go to the ballpark, I'm always excited to see the pitching and you feel like you're going to see something special with a guy like Parker Messick or, or Bryce Hubbard, especially. And, and this weekend, you know, you didn't see the, the best Parker. You saw a really good Bryce. And then two long relievers come in in Wyatt with a four-inning save. And, and Ross Dunn, who Mike Martin Jr. said on Thursday, I, I don't know if Ross is going to pitch this weekend. Well, all of a sudden, Ross goes out and, and throws five innings and just gives up a solo home run. And you say, wow, you know, when these guys are pitching at their best, when they're dialed in, it's it's 97 miles an hour. And that's tough to hit. As long as you're locating and you've got some good control, that's that's really going to be that's what you lean on as a team. Um, you know, when I mentioned to Mike Martin Jr., you've got 10 weekend series wins now. He, he hadn't realized it because I think he admitted they've seen their weaknesses as a hitting team, as a fielding team even some of their struggles pitching, but he knows that, that this is a pitching staff that can really take them. It, it's going to be their ticket as far as they go. And he, he admitted, I'm not going to trade the, those guys for anybody. Um, so I, I think he knows there's work there. There's guys who have, you know, had to fix mechanics or, you know, they kind of just, the, the stress of the moment got to him. Bryce Hubbard got sick and, and he was kind of in a funk for a couple of those starts, but it feels like things are kind of coming together here 
down the stretch after you knock out TCU with that that two game sweep, uh, go up to BC and get two. It was frustrating not to get the full uh, sweep. You just got a series win at BC, but, but to be able to take care of Miami, which is arguably one of the best teams you've faced all year, a high RPI team. Um, you're, you're in a good RPI position to start making that argument of you're, you're kind of there uh, to potentially get a regional host, which we didn't think we'd, we'd be having this discussion right now. It's, it's crazy, but you're, you're in that discussion right now. Bob, Tom, and I were talking in our first segment and put you a little bit on the spot. Uh, don't need to spend a lot of time on this, but with, with Messick pitching on Saturday as opposed to Friday, and then when you move up the last weekend series, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then you're getting ready for the conference, how will that change? Where do, where do you put Messick? How do you, how do you structure your pitching staff starts? Have you had any conversation or any insight to that? It's a really good question. I, I don't think there's a great answer. I think there's multiple answers. Um, I, I want Parker to, to go out there and, and he's supposed to go seven, eight innings and try to get you in best position to win a game. The problem with the ACC tournament is you get the extra day off because your series wraps on a Saturday afternoon. But you also don't know what day you're going to be going up in Charlotte in the ACC tournament. I think you could go as early as Tuesday. You could get pushed back to Wednesday. So you don't want to mess with these guys' days off and their rhythm and their bullpen sessions and all that. I want Parker to go out there and put him in a position to win to win ball games. It's really tough because you don't know which opponent he's going to face. How does he match up against a certain lineup? I do think to some extent, Jimmy Bellinger just says, I don't care. I've got my guys. Most of them are left-handers. We're going to go out there and attack you and – and just see how it all kind of plays out. On the upside, and I'm sure FSU requested this, finishing on the road at North Carolina makes it a little easier on the travel situation to get to the conference tournament. Hey, let's move to football, Bob. Anything uh, a, a week later from the ACC meetings, now that it's resonated, uh, obviously more and more talk every day, every time the ACC comes up about how poor the, the TV deal is compared to other conferences. But anything else? stick out? I think when you look at the revenue gap, there's, there's no real easy button type solution, but what are they looking at with the scheduling model is an opportunity to put together the best matchups, the best TV games that might give you a, a, a good look in into that ACC contract. Is there more revenue? And if ESPN says, Hey, we want more of these types of matchups, then it's, it's on the table. And I think, the ADs and the coaches will have to come up with some kind of consensus. It's tough to have 14 guys come up with a consensus. And, and we've already seen, you know, Pitt, for example, Pitt's AD and coach Narduzzi, they want to keep the division structure. ACC is looking at doing away with divisions and kind of blowing up the schedule model. When it comes to the end of the day, it, it's about putting together fun, competitive football games in Tallahassee's case, you know, we know 60% of FSU fans are traveling three, three and a half hours or more to get here. They want to see great ball games. They want to see competitive games against teams that are, are fun to watch. You want to see Georgia Tech more often. You might want to see Virginia Tech every once in a while. Haven't seen them too often, for example. You have to create these kind of matchups that are just exciting to watch whether you're in the stands and you're buying tickets or, or you're sitting down on a Saturday afternoon or evening and you stop channel surfing because you want to watch that particular game. 
Bob, there was a story circulated, uh, and, and Tom and I have not talked about this other than trading some t tweets with each other. Um, actually, that's not correct. I traded uh, DMs, uh, I think is what we're supposed to call them. I think we call but, them text messages, KJ, but whatever. I'm just trying to be a little sophisticated here. Thanks. Uh, it's, it's going very badly for me. I'm killing add. your credibility. Exactly. <laughs> the point being, the conversation being, um, doing away with the scholarship limitations. I know there's been conversations on the football side about doing away with them for a year or two as it relates to COVID, both the 25 new and the exchange for the uh, transfers out versus transfers in and the portal. But there was a story circulated about a consideration of doing away with them completely. Thoughts? I don't think I'm for it, but I think with this transformation committee that the NCAA has formed and ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips is on it, I think they're going to put just about everything on the table. I'm not wild about, let's say, an over signing because you have no scholarship limits. Um, but also right now, you can create NIL opportunities um, through your FSU collective or, or another collective. And you can literally say a guy's a walk-on and, and he could not truly be on a scholarship. I, I think we're going to just see a lot of creativity in discussions um, but specific to your point, I think 85 creates some the, the best competitive balance that I think possible. And I wouldn't I wouldn't be wild about about seeing you know it, it jump to 90 or 95 or, or saying it's unlimited. I think you have to keep some kind of some kind of regulation and, and guardrails because we've seen with college football, college athletics, when you don't have guardrails, they're typically we, we see problems develop and we call these unintended consequences. But if we know what unintended consequences might be coming up, we need to maybe keep some guardrails in place. You used the term creativity. Uh, there were others that would take that term and say cheating. But somewhere in between is reality. Yeah, it's we're, we're, we're in a really weird spot for college athletics. And, and I, I don't think any of the administrators claim to know the answers. But I think they're sitting down and they're trying to figure out I keep hearing the word guardrails when it, when it comes to NIL, when it comes to tampering, uh, when it comes to the portal, do you, do you close windows? Do you take pressure and stress off college coaches and their staff so they can have a vacation? They can unplug from social media. Um, yeah, I, I think administrators and coaches are to the point where they know you have to, um, you have to set up some, some guardrails, some, some type of rules just to make sure that things don't get, don't get too far out of hand. Bob, you mentioned the portal. All's been quiet on the portal front since spring practice ended, and that may speak to the caliber or the lack of a high caliber player that's in the portal, but do you expect movement from Florida State? Are there going to be some new bodies coming in, or it's really just a product of what's out there in that sea? Yeah, I don't think there's a ton of options out there. I mean, the, the two biggest names that you know, we've heard discussed, obviously the ULM cornerback and a Charlotte offensive lineman, probably an interior guy. You know, you might want to grab another offensive lineman because you can never have enough. Uh, we know Alex Atkins is trying to develop that best eight, that philosophy of you need to have guys you can put out there interchangeably. They've got some versatility, whether they can be, you know, garden center or garden tackle. Those guys are highly valuable. And of course, Alex Atkins knows he's got a prior relationship there. You think that might be an advantage there as far as just uh, you know, convincing a portal prospect to choose Florida State. We'll see. I, I would say overall, Mike Norvell has improved 
the quality of the roster of top to bottom. The guys that we've seen leave Florida State, those portal guys, were mostly backups. The guys who have come in, they're mostly going to be starters and number twos. The roster has been elevated by, by what Mike Norvell and the staff have done, and we'll just kind of see what, what happens in the next couple of weeks. I would say the window's closing. You've got summer bridge. You've got to kind of wrap it up and get these guys academically in a good spot and into the strength and conditioning program because summer's going to hit hard. And preseason camp will open up early. It's going to open up in, in July this year because of the week zero game. So it's really important. Bob Frante, our Osceola insider. You can read more of his content at theosceola.com. Appreciate it as always, sir. Take care. All right. We will catch up with him again next week. We will continue our show. We're going to talk women's golf with the star for the Seminoles right after this. Stay with us on Front Row Knowles. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. We appreciate Bob Ferrante joining us as always and really excited for this next interview as uh, the Florida State women's golf team has been on a tear and we're pleased to have the Star Seminole join us from Arizona, which is where they're getting set for the NCAA championships later this week. Beatrice Wallen is on the line. How are you? Thanks so much for joining us. I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm a little bit tired. We had a long traveling day yesterday with misconnection and we had to go a different route, but we got here in the end, and I'm just happy to be here again. Well, we appreciate you joining us, and I'll point out for our listeners' sake, we're recording this on Tuesday. The women's team flew out Monday uh, trying to go to Scottsdale, and uh, they didn't go as the crow flies because I think you had to end up going through Salt Lake after delays to get there, but we appreciate a few minutes of your time. Um, let's look back last week real quickly. You, you're the first uh, – golfer to to win an NCAA regional outright in Florida State women's golf history and and you and your team I mean when I say you lapped the field at Seminole Legacy last week I mean I, I don't know that I've ever seen a leaderboard that looked quite like what it did a week ago that had to be an exciting moment for you and your teammates yeah it was so awesome it was a great week um it it was a lot of fun to have a lot of supporters there my my parents were there supporting me uh, they haven't watched a college event um, ever, so it was their first one. So it was kind of fun to have them walking with me and supporting me and just hanging out with them uh, after golf and before golf and all of that. And I think we all did a, a great job. Uh, obviously, we had the advantage to have it have that course as our home course, and we've played it so many times. But it's still golf, and everything can happen. I think we had a great week and and we increased our confidence and going into this nationals I think we, we will bring that confidence and and hopefully we can do great here as well speakers for our listeners that may not be familiar tell us where you're from and where your parents came from and how you got to Florida State oh yeah uh, I'm from Sweden uh, born and raised in Gothenburg um I came to, to FSU after looking at, at a bunch of different schools. Uh, FSU wasn't like the plan from the beginning. I kind of, it was just a coincidence that I went to visit and I fell in love with the campus, the people, the coaches and, and the team. And, and I ended up um, spending all my four years there. 
so my parents came all the way from Sweden watching me at regionals and and it was a, a really special moment. You both to have regionals at your home course your your last year and and then having my parents on the side. So it was a lot of fun, a lot of emotions that week, but yes, yes, happy memories. I feel like I could point out differences between Sweden and Tallahassee, though I've never been to Sweden. But what are similarities? <laughs> how, how does this remind you of your of your hometown and country, if at all? It's hard to compare it because it's so different. Um, I mean, the culture and just the the weather and all of that is just super different. Um, but I feel like the people, like I, I feel like FSU took took me in and I feel like I have a family over there and so I feel like I can kind of see myself living both in, in Tallahassee and in Sweden so I, w- I would say the people are they're super nice and, and they kind of took me in and I feel like I'm a part of a, a family over there so I'm super thankful for all the people at FSU and all the coaches and everyone so it's been great four years and and I couldn't change anything if I could you mentioned the fact that you were familiar, obviously, with the Tallahassee course. Tell us about the course in Arizona. Have you played it before? Have you seen it before? What what challenges does it present? Well, it's very different. Uh, if you miss the fairway, there is sand everywhere. It's uh, it's a big desert. Uh, so hopefully we'll keep our balls in the fairway and we don't have to play it from the sand. Because uh, I, I did that last uh, year and it was a bit tricky but hopefully we can stay out of that this year um otherwise it's it's a golf course like you still have to play good golf and, and hit play smart and all of that so i think we, we will manage this this year we're talking with Beatrice Wallen, a seminal senior on the fsu women's golf team there at the ncaa championships which tee off on friday uh, in Scottsdale, Arizona at the Greyhawk Golf Club. Beatrice, uh, the team finished ninth nationally last year. Uh, counting yourself, you've got three seniors and I think two sophomores in the starting lineup, so you have some experience. Uh, how can you build upon what you accomplished last year, and what do you think the ceiling is for what this team can do uh, this coming week? I feel great about this, uh, this team. We all, except one, have played this golf course before. We kind of know um, – where not to be, and hopefully we're what's the smartest play and all. And I think it was a lot of new experience last year with having so many freshmen. But I feel like we all are more confident and, and we know what it takes and every shot is important. So I think we're going going to go into this week and just, like, do our best, play our game. And we know kind of that it's going to be tough. It's going to be a lot of golf, a lot of rounds. So just taking day by day and shot by shot is, is a key, I, I would say. So, so I'm, uh, I would say we all are super excited and, and just kind of ready to go, even if it's only Tuesday. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a lot to look forward to. And I couldn't um, – I didn't want it to play with any other team because I feel like we, we have a great team this year. Let me ask you, you mentioned how many rounds it is. For those who don't know, the way the, the NCAA championships work, there's 24 teams, and you play three rounds of uh, stroke play, and then you cut it to, to 15 teams and play another round of stroke play, so four rounds of, uh, of 18 holes, and then you cut it to eight teams. 
and then you get into match play. So you can, I mean, you can literally be on the course for six or seven straight days, I guess. Um, Exactly. You know, going back, it's a lot of golf. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot of golf. You, you mentioned going back to to the program and your coach. You mentioned just you know the people and uh, you really felt connected and liked the coaching staff when you got here. What can you share about Amy Bond, who's in her twelfth year now and has done such a great job with the FSU women's golf team? Yeah, I mean, my my uh, visit, my first time being at FSU, I was super nervous. I was super shy, and and. Coach Bond just kind of took me in and tried to help me in, in all the ways that she could help me with like language, culture, and all the the changes. And I really appreciate that. And I feel like I've been growing as a person and as a golfer over these four years. And that's definitely thanks to her and putting me um, in those uncomfortable positions, having to do interviews and, and just, you know, putting myself in in those spots and she's always been very supportive and and pushing us to do better and all of that so she's been a great coach and I, I wouldn't wish for any other coach now Tommy has done his homework because he just chatted me up and I'm going to ask the question he's going to give me credit for it but this nickname smiley where where does this come from and and how long have you been uh, carrying that moniker around with you I think the first one that called me smiling is Coach Trey, uh, the men's head coach. Um, I mean, as I told you, I was super shy freshman and sophomore year. I still am shy today, but I've always tried to be positive and and smiling, even if I couldn't find the words to express my feelings or or so ever. So I always trying to be happy and, and try to be like, you know, this outgoing person, even if I don't have the words I want to say and all of that. So I just kept smiling and, and trying to be uh, nice, even if I couldn't find the words. So that's, I, I think that's why they call me Smiley, because I, I smile a lot. <laughs> I think it's a great nickname, a great nickname. Well, you've got a lot to smile about. You've uh, got the second best career scoring average in FSU history. You're uh, potentially a, a four-time All-American. Uh, we'll finish up on this. Uh, I, I know that you, you, you know, through Q School, I think you had already earned your your card to the to the Futures Tour, uh, and yet you opted to come back for this spring. And I think part of the reason was because you finished your degree in humanities, and another part was to be right where you are, competing for the national championship. So. Just sort of talk about that decision that you had to make and then what's next once you finish uh, your FSU career. Yeah, it was a, a hard decision to make because obviously I've been dreaming to go pro and play professional golf uh, a long time. And, and I, I felt like I, I was taking that step, going to Q school and kind of took the Q school as an experience and see how far I could get. Um, I got full Symmetra or Epson as they call it now status, uh, but I felt like going three and a half years in school and, and leave didn't feel right. Um, there was only going to be like a few months left and I, I feel like I could get my degree and just start playing after that and I could get to experience hopefully like nationals and, and the postseason, which is like the, the most fun season, I would say, uh, get to play more events that I really wanted to play as 
uh, Anwa uh, and, and events like that. So I felt like I wanted to finish off school. I want to finish off the whole season, and I wanted to spend some more time with my team, teammates, and and coaches. So it was what? in the end a pretty easy decision. But going through all the thoughts and all the the whole process was a lot. But I kept it kind of straight with my my coach. I asked for advice both with my Swedish coach and and coach Bond. So we all were on the same page and, and then it was just an easy decision to make. Well, I'd say it worked out pretty well for all involved. Uh, enjoy what's left of your FSU career. Best of luck at the, at the upcoming championships and, and uh, as a professional, thanks for a few minutes of your time. Thank you so much. Beatrice Wallen from the Florida state golf team. And we'll take a break and come back and wrap up front row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ as we finish things up. Beatrice Wallen, kind enough to join us, Keith, and you know, I think we've done a pretty good job of this over the years on this show. Uh, obviously, we, we talk plenty about football and men's basketball and baseball, but when when you go top to bottom through the 500 student athletes or so that are on campus at any one time, there are some real rock stars that are going to go on to be solid professionals for a lot of years, and she's one of them that uh, the general public may not be aware of unless you're really a golf fan. Uh, you know, and, and Dana Castellanos was higher profile on the soccer team, uh, Johnny Pock on the men's golf team, Trey Cunningham and track. There's just a lot of really talented athletes that, that aren't necessarily football or basketball players. Well, and, and the other part of it is, you know, the, the, the non-American or the quote unquote, those from uh, other countries. And, and obviously we talked about what FSU has been able to do with their soccer program, but you're starting to see it. Uh, you saw it in men's basketball with, uh, you know, Leonard and his staff bringing in kids from uh, other parts of uh, the world. And, uh, you know, we see it with B as it relates to coming from Sweden. Um, you know, it's, it's a national program, but it's now reaching international status in terms of people wanting to come here. Um, and that's, you know, that's unique. You've been around a long time. I've been around a long time. Uh, I don't ever remember it being this, uh, you know, uh, cosmopolitan. Would that be a, a proper word? Or, or uh, Yeah, that's it's, it's pulling just, out all the big words. Fascinating. Well, I couldn't come up with text uh, in our earlier segment, so I, I'm glad I was able to tickle you and Bob and our listeners. But uh, it is amazing to see what has been accomplished and the, just the quality and caliber of these athletes, these student athletes. We'll get you a flow chart, Keith, and we'll diagram text versus DM versus chat, and you can pull out your abacus and see if it how all about, makes sense. How about you fax that to me and I can review it? <laughs> <laughs> it's not national signing day. So I don't know where I can find a fax machine. <laughs> hey, uh, I want to go back to what we were talking about with Bob related to football. You know, last week the news broke about the divisions and the ACC's for lack of a better term. And maybe this is the accurate description, running that up the flagpole with ESPN to see if it matters a hill of beans to them. And if the answer is it's not going to move the needle at all, then maybe they don't change anything. Uh, but maybe I should start there. What if ESPN says it doesn't matter what combination of games you play, we're not giving you any more dollars. 
Would you still consider making the change from the standpoint that if you look at Florida State, it would help home attendance just to rotate different opponents through on a more regular basis? Or would you stay with the divisions? Well, first of all, and I think this is a slam dunk, but let's make sure that we're fair. The NCAA is the one that mandated that you had to have divisions. Uh, That got suspended during the COVID year, but it's now back in place. Everyone believes that in the next couple of weeks, uh, there will be a vote that says that you can choose your conference championship however you want to. Uh, So that's where this whole division thing came from. You know, it doesn't necessarily work that way in basketball. We have we have an example of how you can run a significant major program with significant major dollars and not have divisions. So that's not unprecedented. I am personally in favor of moving away from the divisions and moving to you know some permanent partners and rotating partners. I'm like you. I think it's just unconscionable that Florida State played at North Carolina and it had been 12 years since that had happened before. If you're going to have a conference, then you need to play the people in your conference, period, the end. Now, you want to do away with the conference and do something else? That's another argument for another day. But yes, I would prefer to go to you know some permanent partners and rotating so you play everybody. And I agree. I think it would help um, the attendance. Now, whether that will move the needle for ESPN, I don't know. Because remember, you're locked into this contract until 35 or 36. And so what you're trying to do is do something that would allow ESPN to, quote, unquote, renegotiate a little bit. Obviously, moving Notre Dame into the conference, if that were to ever happen, would be positive. Um, Changing this and seeing how the the ESPN folks react to it. You know, I don't know that that is as big a reason to do it. Maybe there are dollars. I think it's just the right thing to do when everything's said and done, if the NCAA allows it. Yeah, you know, if you think about it, well, first related to just changing up the home schedule. Instead of Wake Forest coming in one year, you've got Virginia Tech. And then two years later, instead of Wake Forest coming in, now you've got North Carolina. And two years after that, instead of Wake Forest, well, maybe actually you have Wake Forest that year, but it would just change things up on the the home schedule. Uh, You know, it occurs to me that ESPN, they might might offer this counsel, Keith. Uh, We'll up the revenue if FSU and Clemson will play every other Saturday and FSU and Miami can play on the Saturdays in between in perpetuity all year. <laughs> well, the problem is that Florida State and Miami of late haven't had the uh, records. They may still have the draw. They still may have the marquee name, but they haven't had the records to um, mandate or require or even request uh, that opportunity, uh, whereas Clemson has. But as you and I talked last week, you know, it wasn't that many years ago when Florida State beat Clemson 57 to nothing or whatever it was in Dope Campbell. So the, the, the tide can change for anybody. It can. And you're, you're referencing in the 90s. But if you think back to 2013 when FSU went up and, and whipped up on the Tigers in, in, uh, at Clemson, that's one of the downsides of going away from, from divisions. Because if you look at that case that year, FSU would have had to play Clemson again in the ACC championship in 2013. Now, I think they would have beaten them with that team. But I think we'd all look and say, well, I'm glad we played Duke and then just went on to play Auburn out in the national championship, right? So that, that is the potential downside. Well, the reality is if your championship championship game is supposed to be played by the two best teams, then – you really can't fault the schedulers for those teams having to met during the regular season. 
And, you know, again, I'm, I'm old school. I grew up in the, under the Bowden era and, and, and coaches thought that he'd pay anybody anytime, anywhere. If it was the best thing to do. Uh, but you're right. It could cause some uh, few unintended consequences. But I think the the sum of the whole would be greater than those individual uh, negligible things. Uh, and so I'd like to see it move forward. We'll see. Keith, I don't think anybody would take the FSU job if it was open right now and they looked at the future schedules and it had five straight games at LSU and everything in that Oktoberfest. Oh yeah. It, it would have been the, it'd be the kiss of death nowadays because you're you're not you're not going to get long enough to, to weather that storm. But uh but but Bobby made it through. I don't know how that was positioned during those conversations, but uh I don't think they told him. Yeah, maybe he signed the contract <laughs> first and then they pointed out here's your future schedules. Nowadays he that, said, that he said do what? Accessible. We got to do what? <laughs> yeah, let me go over this 81 schedule one more time, Bobby. You're going to play at Nebraska, at Notre Dame, at Ohio State, at Pitt, and at LSU in five straight weeks. <laughs> Good in luck. one month. In one month, yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, appreciate folks uh, tuning in. Appreciate Beatrice Wallen for spending some time with us and wish her the best of luck, her and her team at the NCAA Championships. Bob Frante, uh, as always, uh, a regular guest and – uh, we're getting to the postseason time. It's going to be a fun weekend uh, for women's softball if you're headed out to the regionals. Uh, the baseball team has got some work to do, but they, they've got a chance to host regionals if they can finish strong. I don't know what the number of wins needed would be, Keith, but you know if you keep taking two out of three, I think they're 14 and five in their last 19. So they keep playing like that. They, they could host a regional. They could. I will remind our listeners of this and you as well, Tommy. You know, one of Beatrice's uh, teammates shot a 65 at the Legacy Course, which is the record. Uh, I shot a 65 at Seminole one time. Which, and then which I, front or back? Then I, made the, then I made the turn and played the back nine. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> All right, we'll do this again next week. Thanks for tuning in.